Are you accepting it? No, of course no. not. Rubbish. The government is not accepting it. Welcome to Two Grumpy Hacks, the podcast. I'm Malcolm Farr, and of course, we're with Dennis Atkins. And this is the year of the fire hose of falsehood. Hello, and welcome to the podcast, Two Grumpy Hacks. This is number 32 for the year. Now, New South Wales has clearly got the gold standard for political dislocation with the the Premier, the Deputy Premier and a Senior Minister bolting for the exits. Uh, so many issues raised by this, uh, not the least being uh, the uh, appearance of a boisterous anti-ICAC uh, campaign from people who clearly don't understand what ICAC does, and that includes the Prime Minister of Australia, Scott Morrison. Um, uh, ICAC doesn't send anybody off to jail it investigates what happened um, in their conduct um, and uh, the, the Prime Minister seems to think that it uh, finds people guilty of things, it doesn't it's not a court it has a look at the integrity of various politicians now this anti-ICAC campaign seems to be saying that integrity is an obstacle to good government, so we can't have that. You know, come back, Gladys, all is forgiven, even if you did give a whole stack of taxpayer money uh, uh, to help your boyfriend out. Uh, it really is uh, a disgusting um, stance to take. Um, anyway, uh, one interesting thing in terms of federal politics was the way uh, Scott Morrison sprinted uh, to the microphone before Gladys Berejiklian announced her departure last Friday, he had one of his announceables, and there was no way, no way, he was going to let the mere uh, uh, resignation of a premier uh, overcome or overwhelm uh, one of his announcements. We know how he loves announcements, and this one was not going to get a, not going to get knocked out of the media cycle by uh, by Gladys. Uh, now, Dennis, I think there, there might have been more to this than just uh, Scott Morrison wanting to get on on the TVs. He, he was he was making an announcement about foreign travel or a promise of foreign travel if the premiers did the right thing by him, uh, and that's part of a, a general campaign, I would suggest. It is part of a general campaign. Uh, it was very interesting in. Uh, given the fact that the premiers weren't told about this announcement, they weren't told that uh, he was proposing to reopen the international borders. Now, that is something that the federal government does. They closed the borders uh, in March 2020, uh, and now he's saying, look, when when the states get to 80% uh, double vaccination, they'll be able to reopen the international borders and people will... Um, not in all uh, cases, but more often than not, they'll be able to come and go uh, into and out of those states. Um, but he did not tell the premiers uh, that you know they 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 weren't um, uh, you know they, they they were sort of blindsided by it. Some of them 
uh, it wasn't that big a deal for them, you know, because they were sort of ready for it. It had been briefed around the place. Uh, others, I think, would have would have quite liked a, a bit more notice. And um, uh, I thought it was interesting that uh, uh, one of the leaders, Andrew Barr from the ACT, uh, was later gave some commentary about the way that the Commonwealth operates, um, where he said that you know quite often items that are discussed uh, are circulated late at night, the night before. Sometimes uh, the matters are circulated during the meeting itself, which um, sort of reminded me of the old Premier's conferences from the 1970s and 80s, uh, where Premier's used to get the agenda shoved under their door, uh, their Canberra hotel on, on the night before. But you're quite right. The Prime Minister was out of the blocks racing to the microphone. He wanted to get this uh, this uh, announcement out and he wanted also to be able to say, look, I'm not going to comment on Gladys Berejiklian uh, resigning because uh, I don't know the full details, which is you know, sort of a, a fig leaf of, of an excuse. But um, uh, he was desperate to, to get his announcement out uh, and, and put it on the table uh, because he wanted to dominate the news as much as he could. But also, he wants to set up a fight with those states, and in particular, Queensland and Western Australia, where he knows that the premiers might not be so keen to have uh, international returning travellers uh, let in uh, without any checks. Um, and he, he made that point by saying, look, you might be able to fly into Sydney, but then you won't be able to go on to uh, Brisbane, you might be able to fly to Bali or to uh, Thailand, but you won't be able to fly into Brisbane. Uh, so I think he's setting up a campaign here with a possible eye to a federal election. And when do you think that might be? Are you still on November? Uh, well, he, he, his uh, options are really narrowing. Um, we, we now have three state by-elections in New South Wales. They are almost certainly going to be held on December the 4th. We've got a piece of electoral law uh, that has to pass through the federal parliament. The Australian Electoral Commission has told the federal government, I need uh, some, um, uh, some legislation uh, mandating and overseeing the conduct of an election during a pandemic uh, in terms of how polling places are set up, how counts are done and so on. And I need that before I can conduct an election. Now, the Special Minister of State, Ben Morton, is drawing up that uh, legislation right now. He's going to bring it to the party room on uh, October the 19th. It's likely to go almost straight into the Senate that day uh, uh, or into the Parliament that day and be passed. It's got support of the Labor Party already uh, and it will be passed within a, a day or two. Uh, that will then give him uh, everything he needs to hold the election. If he's going to then hold an election before December 4. Uh, November 27 is really his only option. So he, he's got to move quickly uh, straight after that legislation has passed and pretty well go straight to uh, the campaign trail uh, the following week. Uh, and then we'll have a, a, a rush to the polls by the end of uh, November. Oh, dear me. Now, Dennis, you've been uh, looking down the uh, into the 
uh, email bag and coming up with some uh, email letters to us. What do you got? Yeah, we uh, we we, we uh, apologise to our, our uh, patient listeners uh, who have been sending in uh, their emails and letters and postcards and whatever. Uh, and uh, you know, we, we've been both very busy. I've, I've, I've had a few sort of uh, things to deal with, uh, so I do apologise. But anyway, I, I did spend some time getting a few in order. Uh, and uh, I'll start off with one for you, Malcolm. It comes from Chris from the Gold Coast. Um, and he's been looking at... Um, uh, Scott Morrison's uh, referencing of countries uh, which have high vaccination rates. Uh, he says Britain's got a, uh, a, a double dose rate of about 80% uh, um, and uh, single doses of um, um, almost 90%. He says Britain's got two and a half times our population and he wonders if this means we can expect 95,000 new cases uh, um, a week and more than 300 deaths a week. Um, uh, how would we go coping with that and how would he go explaining that? Has he got a cunning plan to uh, beat the virus or is he just selling us hope? What do you think? Well, the latter seems uh, pretty close to the mark. Look, um, Australia does have the advantage of being more or less an island and controlling people who come and go more so than uh, Britain, even post-Brexit. Uh, the access of Europeans and others is, is quite significant. But Scott Morrison is uh, leading us to, uh, to either accept or uh, not care about the number of deaths that could come from opening up all the borders. It's clear that he wants all border barriers removed, at least to the fully vaccinated. And it's a critical part of his man with a plan appeal to the electorate. Uh, he's the liberator. Not, you know, well, it doesn't matter the cost, but there will be more deaths for sure uh, if he does get his wholesale opening. Uh, there will be more people in hospitals. Scott Morrison doesn't go into any appropriate depth on this, these sort of issues. I mean, uh, why be the man with the plan if the plan produces more tragedy. But further, the plan will add to the cost of hospitals because of uh, a huge increase in demand for ICU beds and other beds. Uh, the states will want uh, the feds to cough up some money to fund uh, this extra uh, uh, cost burden on hospitals. And the man with the plan will not like that. He'll fight it. We'll see who wins that one. Indeed, yes. And it was interesting that uh, when he was asked about this, uh, and there was a letter that was written to Federal Health Minister Greg Hunt uh, from all state health ministers, Coalition and Labor, uh, sent uh, about a week ago. Uh, when he was asked about that, he didn't talk about anybody else. He went straight to Queensland and he, and he accused the Labor government in Queensland of shakedown politics. I think that had more to do with uh, the politics of the election than uh, the politics of health funding. Uh, look, another one that uh, I wouldn't mind uh, getting your view on, Jared from Castlemaine in, in uh, lovely rural Victoria, he says that he, he's picked up uh, 
scent of a charm offensive underway in his state with the treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, uh, who was previously very, very hard on uh, the state Labor government, is now not so uh, critical of them. Uh, and that he's also, from uh, what he's heard, started sending out uh, some very positive election material in his seat of Kuyong. He wonders whether uh, the independent voices votes for Kuyong movement, which is backed by entrepreneur Simon Holmes Accord, uh, might have something to do with this. Do you think that uh, uh, this might be true? Is he, do you think he's worried and should he be? Do you think that some of these these liberals, these uh, independents might threaten sitting liberals in some of these metropolitan seats? I'm still grappling with Josh being charming. Uh, <laughs> no, he is a charming man. He's quite a nice man. But look, uh, by any measure, from from holding a, a wet finger in the air to to uh, running uh, serious opinion polling, the Victorian Liberals have noted a change in uh, the political winds. Um, despite the best efforts of uh, so many, Premier Dan Andrews is not considered a, uh, an out-and-out monster uh, by a sufficient number of Victorian voters, um, although the lockdown is stretching patience. Meanwhile, uh, state Liberals are not seen to be over-endowed with quality performers, um, nor, nor their, their federal uh, cousins in some places, uh, and particularly from the top down, as in the Prime Minister. Uh, uh, you know, Further, some Victorians are angry of the perception of Scott Morrison being the Prime Minister of New South Wales. But put all these elements together, uh, questioning of Labor, no matter how mild, and doubts about Liberal competence, and you have fertile political soil for independence, particularly in marginal seats, which is uh, where we come to Josh and Greg Hunt, by the way, uh, Josh Frydenberg's Kuyong, by strict calculations, was considered a marginal seat after the 2019 election. It's extremely doubtful Labor could take it. An attractive independent might. Uh, this growing interest in third candidates is uh, being detected in Liberal held seats, particularly metropolitan seats, in other states as well. And it will produce a fascinating election night. Yes, absolutely. Uh, look, there's a couple of questions which I might ask myself. So uh, I might call myself Kevin Rudd. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's, one of, that, that, that's one of his, uh, one of his uh, favourite tricks. Uh, Kerry, uh, these, these are two uh, of our listeners who picked up on a couple of things that I said in uh, recent uh, episodes. Um, Kerry Murphy, uh, who's in Melbourne, uh, she was uh, listening to our podcast um, on, on one of her uh, government-sanctioned walks, uh, a very good use of her time there, I think, uh, and she was struck by the way we use the word lockdown, and you just used it again then, Malcolm, uh, and she looked around her uh, and there were people sort of out at coffee shops and, you know, sort of exercising and so on. And she said, I'm not living in a lockdown. Uh, we're living with, with restrictions. So, sure, but we're not in a lockdown. She said, those in quarantine are, uh, are in lockdown, not us. Uh, now, 
technically she's right. Australia is not in a lockdown and we have never really been in a lockdown. We've been subject to stay at home orders. We've been, uh, and even those are not society wide. There, there are uh, exemptions uh, and there have been exemptions throughout this period of the pandemic. Uh, I mean, you know, China, they had a lockdown. Uh, you had to stay home. Uh, and if you didn't, they sent the People's Liberation Army around with big hammers and big nails and they nailed shut your front door. Um, they, they used to walk around in the streets of Wuhan with tape measures. And if you were closer than six feet apart, uh, they would beat you with sticks. Uh, so that, 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 ladies and gentlemen, is a lockdown. Uh, but, but, but hang on, we have seen that sort of thing at some uh, uh, welfare housing towers. Um, and, and there was one, one notorious case in Melbourne where people just couldn't get out of, of the building. And yes. whilst there weren't, uh, well, there weren't uh, people, the army people, uh, you know, soldiers wandering around, there were police um, uh, yep. running the show, but that that was an exception, of course. Yeah, 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 it was, and 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 it, it was you know uh, undertaken for as short a possible time, uh, and you know there, there there have been you know, and as as Kerry points out in her letters, she said that the, the people in quarantine, and that's what you're referring to. These people were quarantined in the towers, and people uh, have been quarantined. Uh, you know, as close contacts uh, of, of people who have been infected with the virus, they've been subject to uh, pretty strict stay-at-home orders, and if they breach them, then they can be fined under under the Biosecurity Act and so on. Yes, yeah. sure, that that's true. But you know, in in the broad sense of the word lockdown, no, Australia hasn't really suffered from a lockdown. Um, and the the other one, another one from Melbourne, who. Uh, was listening to us, uh, Lynn, and uh, she was listening to our discussion a few weeks ago on September 11 and the attacks that took place and the fact that John Howard was in Washington and he referred to it as an act of war. Um, and she also, she's a, a great listener to podcasts and so on, she was uh, listening to Harvard University academic Malika Zegel, uh, who said that the attack wasn't an act of war, it was an Islamic political action uh, taken to wake up the West, um, which is uh, uh, an interesting way of describing sort of uh, bringing down two of the biggest buildings in New York uh, crashing into the Pentagon and <laughs> trying to crash into either the Capitol building or the White House. But anyway, be that as it may, uh, I've got to say, as someone who was in Washington on the day, it looked like an act of war to me. But um, uh, it's interesting that, that Lynn sort of draws this distinction. And I think a lot of people at well, not perhaps not right at the time, but afterwards did. Uh, and some of the political leaders, in fact, tried to separate the actions of Al-Qaeda and also the Taliban from the broader Islamic community. Um, George W. Bush went out just days after the September 11 attacks and went to a mosque in Washington and gave an address saying that this wasn't, uh, America wasn't fighting Islam. Um, just before Australia joined the invasion of Iraq, John Howard, after he'd visited uh, Washington and London to see George W. Bush and Tony Blair, 
through home, flew home through Jakarta uh, to see the uh, Indonesian president, um, Zakana Putri, uh, and tell her that, uh, you know, we were not um, uh, going after the Islamic world generally, we were just going after Saddam Hussein. Um, so, you know, yeah, there, there were distinctions made, um, but I think that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm afraid, I'm, I'm a bit with John Howard on this. If you fly planes into buildings and uh, into uh, and you kill um, over 3,000 people in a couple of hours, I think that's uh, a lot more than a... Um, uh, a bit of a sort of wake-up call to the West. Hell of an alarm clock. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now, uh, this one will bring bring things back to a more prosaic level, uh, Malcolm, and, and, and you're our resident expert on the operation of Parliament. Uh, oh, so, Susan from the ACT uh, uh, listens into question time and, and she wants to know... Um, whether or not ministers have a duty to tell the truth. She, she was watching Question Time and um, she says that Peter Dutton uh, was falsely saying that Morrison uh, um, uh, hadn't said it wasn't a race about vaccines, that he'd said something else. Uh, and she also said that the Prime Minister was misrepresenting the government's position on whether or not the Commonwealth joined Clive Palmer's action against the Western Australian government over borders uh, last year. Um, and she says, why aren't ministers held to account? How do they get away with not telling the truth in the parliament? That's a pretty good question. And that last bit about uh, Clive Palmer and the case against Western Australia was just a doozy. You, know, you, you sort of watched it on television, your mouth agape. How could he do that? Look, more and more politicians are operating on the broad principle that if there's no retribution, there's no need for redemption. Meaning, if you spurn accountability, you don't have to apologise or be punished. And misleading Parliament is, as you would know, Dennis, a very, very serious offence. But if a government MP is actually uh, is accused of the offence, well, they usually have the numbers to reject any attempt to censor them, censure them, uh, and uh, th they can get away with it. Also, part of this equation is the protection they get, depending on which party they're from, from certain news media, mainstream and social. And sadly, the electorate is growing um, numb to political mangling of the truth, um, uh, you, know, you can almost hear people say uh, they all do it. That's the glum assessment of, of politics in general. Uh, and you talk about fake news and media, fake statements by politicians. This is so dangerous, it can lead to citizens giving away their votes cheaply and carelessly, uh, elevating uh, dunderheads. Uh, and Dennis, we, we've previously nominated Scott Morrison as the, as the shallowest and most self-important prime minister uh, we've reported on. We, we shouldn't forget the other tray that he's also the most demonstrably deceitful. He's been caught out telling outright lies. In other eras, not that long ago, he would have been uh, personally 
directly punished severely. But those days seem to have gone. Finally, Dennis, can we, we go to um, something much more uplifting? Uh, and that is our youngest fan. His name is Toby, who's nine and is the grandson of former Senator and MP Cheryl Kernow. Um, Ms. Kernow and Toby uh, used to have uh, movie night, but they, they have expanded it to include podcasts. And the hacks, we too, turned up one evening. It seems Toby favorite, Toby's favourite bit was where Paul Keating at the intro shouts at former Speaker Steve Martin, of course not, it's rubbish. And uh, the answer to who might uh, Scott Morrison have congratulated first about this or that, why himself, of course. Toby apparently roars with laughter <laughs> and um, at these bits and have been replaying them. So thanks for listening, Toby, and everybody else who's um, who's sent in emails to us. Keep them coming to... Uh, Two grumpy hacks. That's um, uh, two numeral grumpy hacks. One word at um, what is it again? At, at uh, gmail.com. So at yes, gmail.com. Yeah, two uh, numeral two two grumpy hacks all lowercase all together at gmail.com. Uh, send them in, and uh, hopefully we'll we won't wait uh, a month or so before we get around to uh, delving back into the mailbag. So, uh, Toby and the rest of you, stay tuned. There's a lot of stuff to come before this year's out. In the meantime, it's goodbye from him. And it's goodbye from up here.